everyone, it's Harmon. Welcome to another episode of Comedy History 101, where we school you in comedy. Hope everyone is doing well. We have a very special episode for you today on the history of Dick Gregory, a comedian who began his career in the late 50s. He turned from comic to activist. He walked in Selma. He was friends with Martin Luther King Jr. And also, he was the first African-American comedian to actually play in a white club. Yes, at one time, that was a thing. Yes, the racist history of our country. Before we jump into the episode, take some time to like, subscribe, and comment on Comedy History 101 wherever you get your podcast. It kind of helps us out. And without further ado... You're stupid. Everybody's so stupid. Good thing about doing comedy in Russia, you have captured audience. You're stupid. Everybody's so stupid. Comedy History 101. I also found out that comedy is the hardest job in the world today. People are so worried about world problems. Everybody likes to talk to the comedians. You know, in my traveling, if I could believe everything people told me, we wouldn't have a racial problem in this country. Because everybody I meet in the nightclub after they get drunk, they all tell me the same thing. Greg, some of my best friends are colored. <laughs> and Mike, you know and I know it's not that many of us to go around. <laughs> Because I like them so well, I had them for parents. <laughs> so what you heard there was a clip of the late, great Dick Gregory, filmed in the early 60s at the Hungry Eye Comedy Club in San Francisco. And yes, you've tuned into another episode of Comedy History 101. Where we school you in comedy. I am Harbin Leon. With me is Scott Kalanico. Scott, how are you? Coming at you straight out of Berlin, Harmon. Straight out of Berlin. So when yep. you hear of Dick Gregory, uh, I think you think of equal parts comedian, equal parts activist. Yeah. So Dick Gregory, bringing you up to speed, was not only a, a, a comedian, but also he, he was a civil rights activist, a vegetarian activist, a social critic, an author... And he came in at number 82 on Comedy Central's list of the 100 greatest stand-ups of all time. Scott, when you, when you hear of Dick Gregory, what, 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 what comes to mind? The first thing that actually comes to my mind is his activism. I actually, uh, this is actually a good, because I knew who Dick Gregory was, of course. And then, you know, when we're doing research on this episode, I learned quite a bit more. Because I, I mostly knew him as an activist. And I mm-hmm. didn't realize he had, like, had such a, a huge impact uh, in the comedy world. So the clip we just saw was from the early 60s. And Dick Gregory began his stand-up career in the late 50s. And I would say, if you look back at the most influential comedians of all time, regardless of, you know, Comedy Central's list, everyone always turns to Lenny Bruce, which if you listen to Lenny Bruce today, I mean, do you go, okay, I want to hear some comedy, put on some Lenny Bruce? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, not, not really, not especially when, especially when he's not reading his trial transcripts. But you know, even <laughs> but even the other stuff, it's just like really kind of dated. And again, mostly 
you know, diving into this episode of Dick Gregory and for better or for worse, his material is uh, still topical to this day. Because mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. he took it, you know, it was uh, African-American comedians take on racism and bigotry of the early 60s, which sadly is applicable to the 2020s. About three months ago, I worked up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and everybody told me, said, Greg, you love this state of Minnesota. We have terrific civil rights laws. And in this state, you never know you're Negro. And that's right. But they pick on the Indian. <laughs> Which means to me, if that Indian ever pack his bag and leave that state of Minnesota, we better get on that next train out of there. This material is, is you know, very much in tune. I think Lenny Bruce was more like, he, he broke that barrier of... Uh, Free speech. Yeah, he was more up at the, the language barrier, and Dick Gregory was more about the color barrier. Yeah, but it still way. is material, and again, but his material know, holds up. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. Is like his material holds up, where Lenny Bruce's material, even before he was insanely just reading court transcripts, is mm-hmm. just very much dated and of the time. Yeah, he, he tends to ramble. But you said, so you know of like Dick Gregory as an activist, so before we do like our deep cut into the history of Dick Gregory, what, what, what activism uh, did you uh, previously know of Dick Gregory? I, I just, I just, I knew he had run for president or had something to do with the elections in 68, and I just kind of knew that in passing, but you know, I learned a few things, you know, during the research for this episode, and, uh, because I am a little bit of a... Uh, uh, conspiracy buff, shall we put it? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the people that Dick Gregory were hanging out with, uh, a lot of people that Dick Gregory hung out with, uh, were all very familiar to me. Yeah, so uh, let's you know we could jump around on the this episode. Who were some of the people that he he hung out with, uh, which are just you know kind of monumental names in history. Um, just even like the people he hung out with in general. Well, he was friends with Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was friends with uh, Malcolm X. Uh, yeah. He marched in Selma. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He got. He, he had a. He, got, he took a boat there. No, was that there? Oh, I think maybe it was a riot. It was in Watts. Oh, it was in Watts. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was shot. That was it. He was. He was talking to um, <laughs> uh, Merv Griffith, I think, <laughs> on there. But yeah, so he was shot. Dick Rigger was shot in the uh, Wyatt's Rots. Uh, the Wyatt's riots in uh, the Watts riots. Watts riots. Yep, in yeah. 1960, 1965. Yeah. So before we dive further into the activism side of Dick Gregory, let's let's uh, take the way back machine, as you say, Scott. And you can't say that, dude. No, I've, I've, people, that's copyrighted. You can say the the comedic comedic time traveling portal. portal. The comedic yeah. time portal. Comedic oh, time we, portal. We, a mental note. To us, uh, let's copyright in that term. So if other people use it, we could sue them. Let's say comedy. Let's say comedy time portal. Whoop. Yeah, uh, copywritten by uh, Comedy History One Hundred and One. Let's dive into the Dick Gregory origin story. Um, he's originally from St. Louis. He was born in St. Louis in 1932. He grew up. He had a single mom. They had five siblings. I believe his dad. I think his name was Presley. Yeah, left the family. Weird, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I remember. Uh, left the family early. Um, his mom had to work, you know, long hours doing 
menial jobs. He began developing his comedy skill, as as most comedians do, to defuse bullies. One time he was actually um, beaten during a racial incident when he was nine years old, when he was shining shoes and he got accused of touching a white woman's ankle. Can, can I just say our country is just so fucked up? <laughs> let's, just, let's just keep going. Let's it's just, it's our, our country that's all. has always <laughs> been fucked up. It's still <laughs> fucked up. Dude, Dick Gregory's only nine. Let's we got a long way to go. It's not so much about Dick Gregory. It's just so yeah. much about what fucked up things brought yeah. Dick Gregory into comedy uh, prowess, which we'll get to later. That he was, you know, the first African American comedian to play uh, white clubs. You know, that mm-hmm. that was that was a that was a barrier that had to be crossed. So, anyways, he's a pretty amazing guy because he was a good student, but also really great at athletics. Where he actually mm-hmm. earned a track scholarship to Southern Illinois University, and not only was on the track team, but he also set school records for the half mile and the mile. And he was captain of the team, and he was also, you know, class president in high school. Yeah, he. Um... But the uh, he found the small reminders of the inequality that he faced at college, kind of one of his um, his one of his eye openers. He said, uh, "I had been fighting poverty, but now I was fighting being a Negro." But the place, the place, Scott, the place where yes. Dick Gregory found his comedy calling. Should I give you a hint? It's a um. place where <laughs> certain orange fuck pants didn't go because of bone spurs. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Would that be the military, Harmon? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but he, exactly. he did he did go to a military school. Let's let's keep that in mind. Where he loved it. No, orange fuck face. Oh, orange fuck face went to yeah. oh yeah. Where mm. he loved it? Yeah, he loved being in military school. But Dick Gregory, uh, who didn't have bone spurs, in fact, set track records. He was drafted into the U.S. Army in 1954 and on the urging of a commanding officer, started performing comedy in Army talent shows. Yeah, you know, that's uh, that's pretty interesting. That's actually... um there's always because that's kind of the same in the Bill Hicks. He wasn't in the army, but also the teacher. Like in order, if you listen to back to our Bill Hicks episode, you know, because Bill Hicks was just so kind of hyper. Like the teacher mm-hmm. wound up giving him like a few minutes at the start of the day to like oh, really? tell tell Jack jokes in front of the the school. And that kind of that's like a, this this motif that kind of pops up in a lot of these where. Ah. I can't remember who was the other the other comedian. I'll probably come back to it later. Um, but there was I, another I comedian. If, yeah, 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 yeah. I have one if uh, if you can't think of the other. What do you got? What do you got? Um, Steve Coogan. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. Yeah, Steve Coogan would say because <laughs> like Steve Coogan started sort of like doing impressions. That was his foray into comedy. And when he was like a school kid, uh, he wasn't a great student. Though I think his dad. Worked for was an engineer at IBM or something mm-hmm. like that, uh, or maybe even like something like Xerox, maybe even like older school okay. computer ish yeah. thing. So the teacher would allow Steve Coogan to open uh, like the class with doing impressions of the other teachers in the school. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's a whole other episode, everyone. That's a whole other episode, everybody. Yeah, we'll come back to that. And a whole um, other yeah. episode on yeah. uh, this is also um, comedians that got their start in the military. 
Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, I can't remember who the other guy. We'll, we'll come back to it. It was it was somebody we've done, but it was the same dude. But actually, basically, his one of his commanding officers gave him time to go do stand up just to you know get it out of the way. Much like Mr. Gregory to things back to bring things back full circle. Yeah, here, here, and so again, he was from St. Louis originally, but when he was discharged from the army, he moved to Chicago and would perform at night and work at the post office during the day. Yeah, that was in, uh, and there while there he performed like a lot of the uh, black-owned clubs, the um, part of the Chitlin circuit, as they used to call it back in the day, where you know he performed for mostly black audiences. Both we've talked about in our history of um, party records, which uh, there was, you know, essentially because how horrible our country's history is, there was just like a whole circuit. Uh, strictly for African-American comedians because that was, they were not allowed to perform in the white clubs. And also on the history of Moms Mabley. Yeah. I mean, here's a good quote from Gregory about that. And he's saying, when I started, a black comic couldn't work a white nightclub. You could sing, you could dance, but you couldn't stand flat-footed and talk. Then the system would know how brilliant black folk were. I mean, again, you know, it was like okay to be a singer like a Sammy Davis Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, performing at the white clubs, but right. if you were an African American mm-hmm. comedian speaking your mind about the politics of the day, <laughs> that wasn't going to go over. No, oh no. Mm-hmm. Well, now don't get me wrong. Now we're doing all right. Now at the rate we're going, ten years from now, you might have to be my color to get a job. <laughs> I mean, I don't get me wrong. I wouldn't mind paying my income tax if I knew it was going to a friendly country. So he he came up like the, when he was coming up, uh, you know, kind of in the black uh, club circuit. He was along with comedians who we first we have to do one on Nipsey Russell. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> Nipsey Russell, um, and get ready to go, uh, Bill Cosby. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, and of course, who is the star of the movie, the Mario Van Peeble movie? Watermelon Man, Godfrey Cambridge. Godfrey Cambridge, yeah, exactly. Did you have you seen Watermelon Man? I might have seen parts of it. I think my favorite kind of movie from that era is the one that um, Robert Downey Jr.'s dad did, uh, Putney Swope. What was it called? Well, it's called Putney Swope. It's about oh, what was uh, that about? Uh, it's about a uh, advertising agency. <laughs> I mean, the first scene's kind of funny because it's like all these white guys in this room and one black guy, and it's an advertising agency, and they're all trying to determine who's going to be the next head of the advertising advertising agency. So I think a, a lot everybody winds up voting for the black guy because they don't think anybody else will vote for him. So he winds mm-hmm. up winning. So he winds up becoming the president of the ad agency, and then it's just all about like you know parodies of ads and stuff like that. And, and it's just yeah, it's like super crazy '60s kind of weirdness. Yeah, that's the thing with Watermelon Man. I believe that's early 70s. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, a, almost like a Eddie Murphy would be influenced by it, where Godfrey Cambridge, I, I've only seen the trailer, and I'm going to check out the whole movie. Um, he plays, Godfrey Cambridge in makeup is like a, a white businessman. And one morning, uh, you know, and he's just like horrible to people, and he's just kind of racist. But one morning he wakes up and he's Godfrey Cambridge. Oh man, okay. Yeah. So All and right. then comedy hijinks ensue. 
Yes. But for uh, for Dick Gregory, part of his sort of comedy uh, timing and prowess was he was considered sort of like a Mort Saul type. So part of his early act was he was like Mort Saul where he would hold up like the newspaper headlines of the day. You know, about 10 times a week, I have fellas walk up and ask me the same question. Say, hey, Greg, how come they're not sending white troops to the Congo? Now, how I know? I mean, I don't even know my social security number. But if we quit worrying so much and stop and think, you could figure out these questions for yourself. Everyone knows darn good and well why they're not sending white troops to the Congo. War brides. <laughs> kind of a, a sat- satirist. Yeah, so Gregory was sometimes called the Black Mort Saul, where in turn, um, Gregory referred to Saul as the White <laughs> Dick Gregory. Exactly. And his comedy style was like, you know, it was very sophisticated, yet quirky and sort of like uh, the Bob Newhart variety. He had like great jokes about the politics of the day, such as like segregation is not a bad thing. Have you ever heard of a collision where the people in the back of the bus got hurt? I had a thing where they ask people where they're from. Alabama! You know, see, I spent 20 years down there one day, and they just go crazy. You can just hear the laugh, the, the giggling. When you can go past laughing and get the giggling, man, that's when you're cooking. I, I, he also put out, he had a couple of comedy albums, a 1961 album in Living Black and White, and the 1962 album, Dick Gregory Talks Turkey. But his harm and his biggest break would have come kind of around the same year, 1961, when Gregory was working at the black-owned Robert Show Bar in Chicago, when he was spotted by none other than Mr. Bunny himself, Hugh Hefner. Oh, so first of all, on, on that, not only was Gregory working at the black-owned Robert, uh, Robert Show Bar in Chicago, but he was... Early on in his career, he was made the master of ceremonies at the club. So he was like the house MC. Yeah, so um, uh, Hugh saw him one night, and uh, he needed a he needed someone to pro- he needed someone to replace um, one of his other performers, a professor Irwin Corey, who I've heard of. And I've yeah, heard what do you know of him? I, that's I like don't know names. much. He was kind of yeah. a crazy character dude, but like, uh, yeah. well, definitely that's a, another episode down the line. Um, so Hefter hired Gregory to play for it was supposed to just be one night. It was gonna be fifty bucks for uh, one night, and. Um, they they just loved him, and then so wound up being um, turned that one night turned into three weeks, which then turned into three years. So he, he that's when he first kind of got discovered. He had a profile on Time Magazine. You know his album came out that year, um, and he's really he really hit the big time, as they said in Time at the day. Uh, New York uh, Dick Gregory, twenty eight, has become the first Negro comedian to make his way into the nightclub big time. Hugh Hefner had the most prestigious club in the world because of his book. When I worked there, it wasn't but one Playboy club in the whole world. But people came in from all over the world because it was a status symbol. To have a key to the Playboy club is like having a Mercedes now. And people came in from all over. I mean, it become a tourist attraction for Chicago. And so uh, when I get called down there, they say $50 for that one night, so I'm thinking, if I was working seven nights a week, had no idea I would be one day. I said, it's 50, I didn't know it was that much money in the world. $50 a night times seven. So I go down there, and I'm not thinking of anything. 
I didn't know at the time that a Negro is not permitted to work a white nightclub. That's in all of America. And I remember not knowing that. I used to practice, what do you do when some white person yells something negative out or embarrass you? And so I used to practice with my wife, but it didn't work because she was too nice and kind. And then one day I did something and she said something to me, and I heard that tone. I said, that's the tone I want. That's the tone. Yeah, so, that, I mean, again, that's crazy. Like that clip we show, or we heard up front, which was filmed at the Hungry Eye in San Francisco, which we talked about on our history of the Purple Onion in San Francisco, that famous legendary club, mm -hmm. was the cutaway shots of Dick Gregory on stage and then you, it cuts away to the audience and it's just just crowd of leave it to beaver dad type white people laughing. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's that's the whole kind of segregated type of audience and, and club because, you know, he was he he broke sort of the barrier of working, as he said, flat footed on stage for white audiences. Yeah, but he, he kind of started hitting the big time and uh, pretty making pretty good money. And then. Uh, future came calling yeah so the tonight show okay so for our listeners out there at one time the tonight show <laughs> was not hosted by jimmy fallon uh, or or johnny carson for, for or jay leno for, or jay leno oh my god <laughs> or steve allen or steve allen <laughs> <laughs> no 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 so in the early 60s uh and i guess we we should probably do an episode on this is the tonight show was hosted by one Jack Parr. So because of his performances at um, the Playboy Club, uh, the producers of Jack Parr came came a-knocking, and they asked Dick Gregory to be on the show. What was his response to Scott? Well, Harmon, you know, believe it or not, Mr. Gregory said no. And why was that? You know why, Harmon? Because he wanted to come sit on the couch. Because usually most uh, black performers they would have come out, they, they would just do their set and then they would leave. Um, but in this case, Gregory wanted to actually sit down on the couch with the host, Jack Parr, and have, have a conversation. You know, what normal things happen on talk shows. Yeah, so that, okay, so let's unpack that for a moment. <laughs> At one time in our country's history, that was a thing. <laughs> yes, that was, that, was, that was indeed a thing. So he turned down the Tonight Show initially because they wouldn't let him sit on the couch and yeah. have panel, as yeah. we call it today. And that was in 1962. Yeah, so eventually, what happened when he eventually did get to be on the Jack Parr show and did get to sit down and do panel with Jack Parr? <clears throat> well, uh, this is, in uh, Miss Gregory's words, this is exactly what happened. I went in there and I sat on the couch talking about my children. So many people called the switchboard NBC in New York that the circuits blew out. Andy said thousands of letters came in and folks were saying, I didn't know black children or white children were the same. Yeah. Yeah. 1962. I was honest. I wasn't disrespectful. I wasn't mean. I wasn't bitter. And from that, Hefner brought me back for two weeks. That was the first time in the history that a Negro comedian had been booked in a white nightclub.
But because of the Tonight Show, um, Dick Gregory, his salary jumped from $250 for seven nights of work. I believe he was getting, what, like $50 a night? Yeah, or, the Playboy oh, Club. With yeah. three shows a night um, at the mm-hmm. Playboy Club, he jumped to $5,000 a night. Yeah. And within so, the next year and a half, he made $3.9 million. Yeah, that's it, not, too, not, not too shabby. In... In early 1960s money. Yeah. But, you know, and again, uh, we talked about this and we're going to do an entire episode on um, the history of early Richard Pryor. The thing about early Richard Pryor was he was doing almost as well as Dick Gregory. You know, he was on the Ed Sullivan show and... He was just like a, a regular fixture on TV and was opening for Vegas, but he felt like his material, he was selling his material short. Where Dick Gregory always, it was always about politics mm-hmm. were involved yeah. with his his comedy. Yeah, so then like that around the same time, we're talking about 64, 63, 64, 65, he starts getting involved with all these uh, civil rights causes. Like, for example, we mentioned a you mentioned that uh, he became friends with Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Uh, he was speaking at a uh, voter registration ra- rally in Jackson, Mississippi with Medgar Evers. He delivered food to the NAACP offices. He did march in Selma, Alabama. And then, as we mentioned before, he got shot while he was trying to keep the peace uh, during the 1965 Watts riots. So the, he, he, Dick was not only you know, on stage talking about equality, but he was out there doing something about it, too. Yeah, and at the same time, he was doing, like, great jokes on stage where, you know, just talking about, you know, travels in the South, like he going into a restaurant where uh, the waitress would say, we don't serve colored people here, and I said, that's all right, I don't eat colored people. Or, like, he went into this other restaurant in the South, and the KKK was there. He said, anything you do that chicken, we're going to do to do you. We're going to do to you. So I put down my knife and fork. I picked up that chicken and I kissed its ass and said, line up, boys. Yeah, that was in there. So because of his success on The Tonight Show and at the Playboy Club, he also put out a couple of popular albums. Like I said, in 1961, he put out the album In Living Black and White. In 1962, he put out Dick Gregory Talks Turkey. He also put out a profound 1964 autobiography titled Something I Won't Say Out Loud. I mean, but, you, can, you, can, you can say the N-word. Well, okay, so it was called that. So first of all, I'll tell you what the book is about. It's impoverished childhood and dealing with racism growing up. And he wrote in the foreword that he told his mom, wherever you are, if you ever hear the word, fill in the N-word, again, remember they're advertising my book. Which is pretty edgy in, in, if you, in 1964 yeah. terms. So again, in, in, in later years, so uh, spoiler alert, Dick Gregory died in 2017, that in later years, he, def- he decried, decreed the use of the euphemism term N-word because he said you wouldn't have a swastika be a different symbol because you need to know what it means or the origins of it. Mm -hmm. Yes, which is in India. 
but the, the racist uh, yeah. impact of it. Yeah. So, Scott, next week we will come back and we will cover the activism side of Dick Gregory, which is, again, like you knew him as an activist. You didn't really know him as a stand-up comedian. But uh, how long did Dick Gregory perform as a comedian? Well, of course, you know, at the end of his life, he's just performing again. But around 1973, or it was in 1973, uh, Gregory stopped performing in clubs. He says because uh, by this time he was a vegetarian and he was losing weight. And he, he said uh, he wasn't performing in clubs because smoking and drinking were allowed. But, you know, part of it could be because he was kind of probably starting to lose some work because of all the activism he was doing. You know, at that point, he was uh, very active in the... Um, activism scene so it'd be more than two two decades before we returned to the stage yeah and it's so funny like that clip we saw up front and the clip where he was on the mike wallace uh tv show he kind of gave off a vibe of uh, dave chappelle because and, and again different era while he's doing stand-up he's also chain smoking at the same time yeah <laughs> yeah that's right I forgot, I forgot to mention that yeah, so, and again, on Chappelle's special, he's the only comedian in modern history that you see also just chain-smoking his whole set. So, <laughs> again, it's like, and almost he has sort of, a, or Chappelle almost has like a Dick Gregory-esque yeah, yeah, sort of style yeah. with both kind of in timing in certain parts and, uh, you know, topics. Yeah, exactly. And again, we will be back next week with part two of the history of Dick Gregory. And until then, bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're stupid. Everybody's so stupid. Good thing about doing comedy in Russia, you have captured audience. You're stupid. Everybody's so stupid. Comedy History 101.